Hey, can I give you some advice? I bet you could get some action if you open up to her about how bad things are at home. You deserve to shop around. Take her to happy hour. We are continuing our series this morning, Bad Advice, Bad Advice. And so if you're new with us this morning and you're thinking, did he really just say that we're going to spend this morning talking or being given rather bad advice, you are correct. Um, That is what I said. And uh, this morning, as we kind of wrap this series up, this is the last one in our Bad Advice series. Um, Next week, again, uh, we do have Communion Sunday, so we want to invite you back to that. Uh, We would love to celebrate with you and your family as the family of God, as the church, uh, as we gather around the communion table and to remember what he did for us in his giving of his body and of the shedding of his blood. And so we're going to do that next week. It's going to be a great time, an intimate time of just worship and and fellowship around the table of communion. Uh, And the next, the week after that, um, right now praying for this, but uh, uh, I'm planning on starting some kind of a walk through the topic of worship. Uh, We're going to take a couple of weeks and just kind of walk through the topic of worship and look at what is worship, what worship is not, um, maybe what we've made worship into. And so we're going to talk about all those things here in a couple of weeks. And so you don't want to miss that. Um, Again, next week, communion. And then after that, we're going to get into a talk on worship and walking through that. Uh, Basically answering some questions in regards to worship like, is it all about the music? Um, How do I worship with other people of different backgrounds and different understandings? Uh, What is true worship? What is God want in worship. And listen, if we're really going to answer any question, it's got to be, if we say that we come here to worship God, which is why we're here today, we really should have a biblical understanding of what does that even look like? What does it look like to worship Him biblically? Um, And by the way, does it only happen here? And so we're going to tackle all those things in the coming weeks. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn to Exodus chapter 20, way back in the Old Testament, one verse to get us started in just a few minutes here. Um, And as we are continuing our series on bad advice And as we have discovered in the last two weeks, it's easy to start listening to and believing some pretty bad advice in our lives. But I also hope that you have discovered how ridiculous that bad advice sounds and how much damage living that way can cause. Uh, We have covered two uh, kind of difficult topics, I would say, for some. Uh, The first week we talked about how to drift from God, how to drift from God. We gave you an illustration about a married couple uh, that used to ride in a truck together. And if you guys remember this, I, I just want to share it as a review. Um, and uh, every time they jump in the truck, the husband would drive and the wife would be right there next to him. And he'd always put his arm around her. Well, after about 20 years of marriage, um, they would still drive in the truck together. Uh, the husband would still drive, but the wife would sit all the way on the passenger side. And she leaned over one day in tears and she said, you know, what happened to us? I don't know what happened to us. You know, we used to sit in the truck, and you'd always put your arm around me, and you'd always kind of snuggle me up near you, and 20 years later, here we are, and there's all this room between us. What happened to us? What changed? What changed? What happened? And the husband kind of looked over and kind of smirked just a little bit and said, well, honey, I've never moved. That'll sink in a little bit for those of you that didn't hear that. Um, The point being that in our walk with Christ, sometimes we look at God and we say, God, what happened to us? We used to be so close. We used to be so connected. And now I feel like there's this rift. There's this drifting between us. And I believe God would look at us and suggest to us in a loving and gracious way that maybe we're the ones that drifted. Maybe we're the ones that moved away from him. 
And so we tackled that the first week. Last week we talked about how to become an addict. How to become an addict. And we walked through the bad advice this world would give us as far as how to grow an addiction, how to feed an addiction. And really we learned, and I hope that more than anything else, that if you didn't take anything else out of last week, that you realized that the word addiction is not just about substance abuse. That we looked at the biblical understanding of an addiction, and we realized that Paul says that if you've allowed anything outside of the Holy Spirit of God, Christ himself, to master you, then you've given yourself over to that thing. It has control over you, and it's your addiction. And so we walked that out, and we talked about what the bad advice is, but we also talked about how we as followers of Christ can have victory from those things. It is amazing how God orchestrates things together. Just in the, the songs people have sang the last couple of weeks, all on their own, the music we've put together for worship, and how God is aligning these things. Because listen, Jeff last week sang a wonderful song called Slow Fade from Casting Crowns. Oh, I'm sorry, that was two weeks ago. Two weeks ago he did that. Three weeks. It was a couple weeks ago. And uh, I was like, wait, no, because my mother-in-law sang last week, so it wasn't last week. And anyway, and along with that, um, that idea of just slowly fading away, and then just a week later, we, t- we teach on and we talk on how to drift from God. And then we talk about addiction and all those things last week, and then this morning, we're going to get into a, a kind of another tough topic. But I mean, it really shouldn't be a tough topic. It's things we need to understand as followers of Christ. But we're going to talk about this morning... How to commit adultery. How to commit adultery. And that's the bad advice we're going to kind of unpack this morning. But listen, here's the reality of it. You may be or have been what we're Sandra just saying about. That you feel like, how could I possibly raise my hands to that God after doing what I've done or knowing what I know? Having been where I was. How could I possibly raise my hands to that God when my hands are dirty? I'm so thankful that in Christ, he can cleanse us. And that in Christ, if you have received him as your Savior, you have been cleansed. Your hands, yes, while momentarily dirty from playing in the mud and the dirt of this world, can be cleansed again when you draw close to him. James tells us that. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. You're double-minded. You know what he's saying? As a follower of Christ, you need to come and have that daily washing. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we say, well, that's about salvation, isn't it? 1 John 1, 9 was written to the church, to those that knew Christ. He would say, no, we all get daily dirt, so we all need daily cleansing. Listen, I have two boys, 10 and 7. And there's times where I don't pay attention to it often, but every now and then, one of them, I'll see their hand. Yuck. Like, how do they get all that under their nails? It looks like tar is under there. Like, I'm like, what did you do at school today? And then my little one, he'll come home with, like, marker, you know, all over the arms and the face. And I'm like, would you rub it all over your face? What's going on? Listen, just as though we tell our kids, hey, we need that daily cleansing. Sometimes when your kids were young, did they always go, oh, yes, please, mother and father, give me a bath. I'm so excited to bathe today. Thank you. No, they might go, you know what, I don't think I need one. I'm good. It's been three days. I think I'm, I'm good. Okay? And you say, no, you don't understand how dirty you are and how you need this. And here's the thing. Isn't it funny how when we get our, our kids to understand this, it's when they start realizing that they stink But isn't it funny, when they don't realize they stink and they don't realize other people are noticing, they they can just go on with their day? 
But it's when they realize, oh, wait, man, people notice that I'm dirty. People are noticing the aroma that I'm putting off. I need to cleanse myself. And see, this is how sin can be in our lives. We think we're good. And man, we stink. Because we've just allowed layer and layer of sin to be put on us. Paul says it this way, man, you are dead to sin. Why would you resurrect the old man and carry around that corpse with you with the smell of death all over you? Why would you do that? It doesn't make sense. But man, in Christ, when we draw close to him and we confess our sin and we receive his grace and we understand who we are in Christ, we can be washed clean and live the life we were meant to live as a follower of Christ, as a new creation. Let me just say this on the onset. If you're here and you don't know Christ, you've never personally received him as your Lord and Savior, it's not about getting baptized. It's not about reading the Bible. It's not about a tithe check. It's not about going to church or doing good things. I mean, you can try all of those things. God in his sovereignty will allow you to try all those efforts. He will let you live your life thinking your good works is good enough. And he will also allow you to receive the consequence of that choice. And if you want to think that your good works will get you to heaven, you're allowed graciously. Here's the crazy thing. He will graciously give you breath in your lungs day after day, hoping for time of repentance. But if you choose to live in your own good works, he will let you. God is a loving God, but he's also a God that gives us choice. And he will never force you to receive his love. He will just continuously offer it to you, hoping that you will one day receive it for yourself. But if you choose to reject it, or you choose to think you're good enough, or you're just going to be good going to church once a couple times a month, maybe once a year, Christmas, Easter, whatever, then when you stand before him on that day of judgment, you will be responsible for the consequence of that choice. But here's the beauty of it. Just as I have to stand in consequence of my choice of rejecting him, which will bring eternal damnation, the Bible says, not because of anything anyone else has done, but because of my sin, my breaking of God's law, In the same way, if I choose by his grace, which he extends to me, to just receive, not to earn, not to deserve, not to do anything to get it, but just to receive his gracious salvation, I will stand one day before God. And I will be allowed the privilege of receiving the consequence of that choice. And I will be rewarded, not for what I have done, but what Christ has done. Who could boast in anything that we do? It is all the cross. It is all Jesus sacrificially living a sinless life, dying on a sinner's cross, raising the third day, saying, if you will just but come, I will give you rest. And then we receive that rest, and we are given a new heart, a new mind, filled with the Holy Spirit of God. But here's the catch. We still have this stuff called the flesh, right? And I don't know about you, but I'm so tired of this stuff. Okay? Just it gets really old. And I can't wait for the day that I will leave this place and will be, as John says in 1 John, I will see him and I will be like him. But what about the meantime? Like what about between now and that moment? You see, as we tackle this topic of how to commit adultery, there's a couple things I want to kind of give us an onset of, just to let us know what we're thinking here. Number one, if you're not married, please do not think, oh, this has, I can check out, this has nothing to do with me. Because maybe one day you will be married, or maybe one day you will be tempted by someone who is married. Maybe you're here and you are married. And this is obviously something I would pray diligently that you will apply to your heart and to your mind by the grace of the Holy Spirit and allow him to work. 
But let me say this as well. If you're here and you, in any way, shape, or form, as we walk through this message, feel as though, man, this is making me feel really bad because of something you've done or something that you've been tempted to do. That is not the intention of this message. The message, the purpose of the message is this, to understand what sin really can do in a marriage, in a family, but then also understand what grace can do in a marriage and in a family and how we can watch God restore and rebuild and renew. And so as we walk this out this morning, I want to give you kind of that as the onset, kind of the beginning, because sometimes we get into messages like this and you're like, oh man, this is just really, oh, this doesn't feel very good. Someone told me again this week, and they didn't even realize, actually yesterday morning, I was sitting somebody at men's prayer breakfast, and they said something to me that I thought was amazing. i could got to be honest with you this morning. I've, this whole week, I feel like the enemy is telling me, you don't want to preach that. You don't want, no, let that go. They don't need that. They're good. You don't preach to that kind of church. They're all good. They're fine. They're not going to struggle with this stuff. Just let it go. Preach something else. And all week, I, I just told Sandra before I came up, I said, man, I just feel like the flesh or the enemy or something is just trying to keep me from preaching this message. And yesterday morning, someone at prayer breakfast said, you know, they felt like God was affirming to them all week that when they've been convicted of something, that it's a good thing. And they said, you know what? I realized that, that when, I, when God convicts me of anything, small, little, big, whatever, man, it's a good thing because it helps me grow into Christ's character. And I was sitting across from him. He had no idea that all this whole week, I'm like, oh, Lord, man, is this really what I'm going to preach? And it was just an affirmation that, no, you preach what I give you to preach. Because here's the truth of it. Here's the other thing I want to let you know. I'm not preaching as someone with a perfect marriage that has all the answers. I got it all figured out, guys. Almost 13 years, 12 and a half. Praise the Lord. Okay, I didn't think we'd get to two. Just because of me. I'm just kind of dumb that way, okay? I, just, I thought she had been like, you're gone. Get out. Because you know what it is, though? It's, it's I've had to learn some things. <laughs> learn some things. Like when she sets her cup on the table and it sits there for five minutes, she may not be done with it. So I may not want to take it and go put it in the sink with the dirty dishes. I may want to just let that sit there for a little bit. And you might say, that really wasn't something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was, that was a flare-up. About two years in, she's like, listen, I love you, but if you touch my cup again, I'll kill you. <laughs> I'm going to kill you. I just can't take it anymore. Leave the cup alone. And I'm like, well, I thought you were done with it. Did you ask me if I was done with it? Well, no. Ask, and I will tell you the truth. I'm done with that. You can take care of it. Thank you. No, I'm not done with that yet. So I've had to be trained on some things, okay? So listen, whenever these kind of anything about marriage or family or kids are preached from a, from a platform like this, sometimes the audience has a temptation to think, you know what, this guy either, A, doesn't get what we're going through because he just doesn't know, doesn't have the life experience to teach to this because he just doesn't know. Or, you know, he thinks he's just got it all figured out. He thinks he's got all the answers. I can tell you, I have no answers. All I have is Jesus and his word. And if his word says this, man, if we just apply this, I don't care who you are or where you are or what your level of experience is, we can see God do great things in our marriages. And so I'm not, I just want to make sure you understand these things at the beginning. I am not up here as though the marriage guru expert. And by the way, if you meet someone like that who tries to tell you they got their marriage all figured out, listen to nothing they say. Run the other direction. Because they're so full of pride and arrogancy, they're not at all figured out in their marriage of what it should be. I'm not saying we can't glean from each other, but just be so careful, man. When people come at you like, 
Your marriage needs to be like our marriage. No, no, our marriage needs to reflect the love of Christ. That's what we should want in our marriages, not happiness in our marriage. How trivial. Why would you set the bar at happiness? Something so circumstantial and situational that can change with the course of a day. Man, set it on Christ-likeness. Your goal for your marriage, your future marriage one day, or your current marriage should be, I want our marriage to be like Christ. And I, I promise you this, when you start to apply that to your marriage, you'll fight less, you'll argue less, you'll compromise more, and you'll do it just because you want to, not because you want to get something from the other person. I know that never happens in marriage, right? We never do that whole, like, I do for you, you do for me thing. That never happens in marriage. Mm -mm, No, we're much too mature for that. But that's what it can devolve into. So I want to walk through this this morning. um, Because honestly, we are surrounded with story after story after story of marriages being rocked by this issue of adultery. One statistic that I want to give you to consider as we tackle this topic is from the Journal of Psychology and Christianity, which says that up to 65% of husbands and 55% of wives will, in their marriage, commit adultery. 65% of husbands, 55% of wives will commit adultery. This is just in general. This is just being a man and a woman in this world that happens to be married. But I believe it doesn't have to be that way, of course. But in our world, it's becoming commonplace. However, I believe this has always been the case since Genesis 3. Our sin nature desires to destroy marriage because marriage was created and instituted by God himself. That's why destroying marriage is the goal of our sin nature and the enemy. It also breaks the heart of our father and hurts so many of his children. I believe that's why God commands us in Exodus 20 and verse 14. Look at it with me. Exodus 20 and verse 14. Such a simple command. But I believe this represents the heart and the characteristics of God. He says, thou shall not commit adultery. Thou shall not commit adultery. This is a law given by God, yes, but it's a law for our blessing. Let me say that again. It is a law for our blessing. Yes, it honors God, it glorifies the Father, it builds relationship with him, with the people of Israel. But the reason God gave this command was so that the children of Israel, and ultimately I believe his heart has not changed. I believe we see this reinforced in the New Testament, as we're going to get to in a little bit. I believe the reason was for our blessing as his children. So that we wouldn't endure the hurts and the pains and the struggles and the stresses and the trials that come with that decision. It's like telling your son, I know you want to, but don't touch the stove because it will burn you. Oh, man, that sounds like you're just trying to ruin my fun. No, listen, you don't understand the danger involved in that. And so let's do this. I know we prayed. I know Greg prayed for us, and I appreciate that. But let's just real quick take a minute and just pray and ask God to speak. Can we do that? Heavenly Father, thank you, Father, for your love and your grace. I pray, Father, that more than anything, we would read this command, but also we would see your hearts. I know that we have been freed from the law, Lord, that we don't live under the bondage of the law, that we have been set free by grace in Christ alone. But I pray that we would see that the moral law that you put forth, that you still desire us as your children, as followers of Christ, to represent your moral desires, your moral code of life and love as we pursue Christ-likeness in this world. Help us to see, Lord, that this topic is one that is so dangerous. And that if we are not careful... 
it can consume us or consume those around us. May we be open to what you have for us today, Lord. For the one that's not married here today, Lord, I do pray that you would just give them great wisdom and insight as they continue to pray about that future relationship. Help them to be the man or woman of God that they need to be individually so that when they are joined with someone else as one, that they will be able to be Christ-like for them to honor you in that relationship. Father, for the ones that are married here today, myself included, I pray that you'd open my heart and mind to what you have for us. Help us to see the warning signs to guard our relationship, to guard our mind, our heart, and our eyes. And Father, if anyone in this room or anyone listening to this, whether it be online or later after this point, I pray that they would understand that no matter what level we're talking about, if something happened in a sin way, Lord, I pray that they would confess it, repent it, but also, Lord, believe that you've forgiven them. So often, Lord, we hold it over ourselves and we punish ourselves and we literally, we persecute ourselves so much more than you would ever desire. I pray that our conviction would stop at repentance and not carry into guilt. And so, Father, may you give us wisdom in all this. Holy Spirit, lead God and direct, and thank you for setting us free from these things. And again, I pray that you would restore and rebuild and use the marriages in this church to show your grace, love, and glory to this world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Human marriage is the greatest illustration on planet Earth of the relationship between the church and Jesus Christ. We, in Christian marriage, get to demonstrate the love that Christ has for his church and that the church has for him. Again, this is why it is crucial that it is protected. This morning, I'm going to break from the last two weeks' format a little bit. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, uh, I am going to give you some bad advice, but I'm going to look at it in a more serious sense and walk through it in some, uh, some of the things that our culture says are normal and fine. And if you're new this morning or you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been giving you some bad advice in the first part of the message. I actually have been, um, surprisingly so to some, preaching the bad advice as though I really believed it. And so if you want to hear some of that, you can go online at northgoodland.org and you can click on those and find those messages or they will be on our app uh, here soon. And so you can find those there. But this morning I want to kind of give you the bad advice still, but we're not going to take it as lighthearted, I guess, as we have the last couple of weeks. I don't want to uh, really kind of tackle it that way. I really want to kind of walk through this in a sense that we can glean from what the Lord has for us. And so if you're taking notes, you can jot these things down because I believe there are things we need to be guarded against. Uh, these, this is the bad advice that our world tries to give us. And let's be honest, we're all surrounded with bad advice, right? Like, hey, what's the big deal? Supersize that. Or you can't do that anymore. I'm sorry. You can't supersize anything anymore. I forgot. Uh, get the large, which is the size the supersize used to be, and now the medium is the large, and the small is the medium, and there is no more small. You ever go to a fast food place, and you say, can I get a small? And they go, we don't have small. And you're like, there's something wrong with that. Like, I, I want a small, I don't want a huge, like, 74-ounce drink. Like, why? And then they go, but here, this, you know, whatever it is, 44-ounce drink, that's only a dollar. Or you can get a medium for a dollar. Well, I'm going to take twice the soda. Let's do that. So, we're surrounded by bad advice. And so what does our world tell us as far as bad advice in this way? Well, our world tells us exactly how to commit adultery. It's everywhere, and it's so obvious to the world around us. And they, they influence our marriages as followers of Christ in this way. And again, this is not saying that none of us have been affected by this or that all of us have been affected by this, but this is just the bad advice that we see in the world around us. The first thing that the world tells us, if you want to commit adultery, is to neglect your marriage. Neglect your marriage. This come in, comes in many forms, but most obviously it's found in a breakdown in communication. Once that has happened, a lack of trust is sure to follow. Once husband and wife stop talking to each other consistently, openly, honestly, 
And that's the thing, too. I'm not talking about the day-to-day, how was your day, honey? Oh, it was great, dear. You know, that kind of stuff. I'm saying really talking through things and doing it in a way that is as much as possible non-judgmental. And here's what I mean by that. If, if a husband or a wife knows I can share any struggle with my spouse, that they may respond in a hurt way, of course, if obviously if it hurts them in some way, but they are going to do their very best to, to respond in a non-judgmental way. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean they can't say what we did or thought or whatever was wrong? No. What it means is they're going to say, look, that was really wrong, and I want to help you through this, but I still love you. God's grace is still for you. That's what we're talking about, that kind of a non-judgmental response. And if that exists, man, there's great communication in marriage. But when that isn't understood, there can be a breakdown of communication. We're still talking, but we're not talking. Do you guys know what I mean by that? We're still having conversations, but we're not having conversations. And let me just say this as well. If you're here and you've been married a longer time than some in this room, maybe you've been married 20, 30, uh, 40 years, man, praise God for that, by the way. Uh, you need to celebrate every single day of your marriage, Okay. Uh, the, the longer you have together, man, that's a testimony to us that have only been married for 12, almost 13 years. We need your example. But I would encourage you, partner with, come alongside a younger couple. Not because you want them to be like you, but because you want to glean from them and they want to glean from you. And you begin to encourage them with things like how to communicate over time. These kind of things are huge in developing a strong and healthy relationship, a Christ-like relationship. Couples that stop talking, they stop connecting. And when couples stop connecting, their minds start to wander. When you stop communicating, you stop connecting. When you stop connecting, your mind starts to wander. So how does the world tell us to commit adultery? Well, the first thing we have to do is neglect our marriage. A second thing the world tells us to do in the area of bad advice would be to enjoy common interest with someone and form an emotional bond with someone else. Now, let me say that again. Enjoy common interests with someone and form an emotional bond with someone else. And here's what we mean by that. I want to be clear. Having common interests with someone of the opposite sex is not sinful. But we must be aware that a common interest may lead to an emotional bond with someone else of the opposite sex. Our world says that it's okay to spend hours and hours with someone of the opposite sex sharing a common interest flirting and carrying on. It's no big deal. I mean, at the end of the day, you're not actually doing anything, right? I mean, that's the bad advice we're hearing. Now, so how do we balance this out? I am not a guy of black and whites unless the Word of God gives us the black and white. And so here's what I want you to understand. Again, I am not saying that if you enjoy this hobby or this, this pastime, you cannot do that with someone of the opposite sex. What I am saying is you need to be so careful, Nowadays, it's nothing. A lot of people work out together. And it's nothing to go to the gym two or three times a week and you meet this person who also is working out with the same regiment. And all of a sudden you realize, hey, this guy or this girl, whatever, whoever's the opposite sex of you, they seem to be at the same place in their fitness. And so, you know what, we're going to encourage each other. And we're friends. We knew each other in high school. And so we're going to start talking again. And all of a sudden, after a few weeks of this, you find yourself bonding with this person. And then the next thing you know, a few weeks goes by, and now you're looking forward to seeing them at the gym. Do you see how this can progress? And then all of a sudden, you're finding yourself being at home, thinking about the next time you're going to work out with that person. That's what we're saying be guarded against. I am not saying you can't spend time with that person as far as spending a common interest together. But I would give you some, maybe some, some cautionary advice. 
Put some roadblocks there. Have your spouse completely invested and involved in understanding what's going on in that interest. Include your spouse in that interest if possible. Make sure your spouse is 100% comfortable and at peace with the interest and the person. Again, these are things you have to understand. Ultimately, at the end of the day, our job as a husband and a wife is to honor Christ and honor our spouse. And if I'm honoring my spouse, then I'm going to make sure my spouse is completely comfortable with this interest and the people I'm doing it with. And you might say, well, what if my spouse isn't okay with what I'm doing or who I'm doing it with? And they have a real problem with that, and it's actually causing division there. Well, the Bible's pretty clear on that. You stop doing it. Whoa, 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 come on now. That's ridiculous. That's so silly. There's nothing going on. It doesn't matter at the end of the day because if your job and your goal as a Christian is to honor Christ and honor your spouse, then the only way I can honor Christ is honoring my spouse. And if my spouse isn't at peace about something, and if it's just an interest or a hobby, why can't I stop? Maybe because there's more there than I even am realizing. I want to really understand this because this is not the world's way of thinking. The world's way of thinking is tell your husband or wife to get over it. They're just being ridiculous. They're just being childish. That's bad advice. So neglect your marriage, which these are kind of done in progression. Neglect your marriage. Enjoy common interests of someone else and bond with them. And then make excuses and rationalize your actions. When temptation comes and when it's given into, the next step is to rationalize it. It's thinking it's not really my fault anyway. This is so common in our world. This is the they don't understand me excuse. She doesn't meet my needs anymore. He doesn't listen to me. P.S. Ladies, can we just get one thing straight? As a man, speaking as the gender right now, sorry guys, I represent you. Terrifying, I know. But I'll do my best. We will naturally never listen to you. I'm just being real right now. Some of the men are like, oh, honey, he doesn't know. I listen to you all the time. He's lying to you. No, he's not lying. He has good intentions, okay? As a man, we will naturally, say that again, naturally never purposely listen to everything a woman says. And here's why. Because we can't keep up. Let's just be real for a minute. It's tough. Because it's like we're over here then we're over here, then we're with the kids at school, then we're with the in-laws on the weekend, then we did this last week, and you're like, whoa, I need something succinct. I need a kind of a, give me a timeline here. It's so our brains work differently. So naturally, men, here's what we do. We want to listen, don't we? Men, you don't have to say amen. We know we're on the same page. You want to listen, but then all of a sudden, at some point in the conversation, you don't even know when it was, you just disconnected. And you come back, you ever have this happen? Sandra knows all of this. We've had this conversation. She is not sitting there going, I didn't know any of this. We've had this conversation. So she's good with this. But there's been conversations where I'm like, I'm going to listen to everything she has to say. Ready? Go. And I'm focused. Man, I'm on. I got it. Okay, yep, mm mm-hmm. I even throw in the, uh uh-huh, mm-hmm, yes. We do that because we're trying to keep ourselves. We don't care if you care that we're listening. We want to connect. And then all of a sudden, somewhere, you just drift off. And then you come back. You ever come back to a conversation you drifted from? And you go, oh, I just missed like 30 seconds. What? How are we? Whoa, wait. 
And, but then what do you want to do? You want to say, oh, time out. I'm sorry. I missed that. But then your flesh says, uh-uh, wrong. Nope, don't do that. Because then she's going to say what? Are you listening? Oh, honey, I've been listening. I was just thinking about your birthday present. I got distracted from what you were saying. Because I was thinking, I want to get you that necklace you've been really, like, wanting. So what was it you said? But here's the key in that. If your husband or your wife, and it doesn't just go husband or wife to husband. I know that there are not broad senses for everybody. I know that sometimes women struggle with listening. But here's my point on that. For the women in here, they're like, my husband never listens to me. Be patient. We can be trained. We can be taught. We can learn. Okay? We can grow. We can advance. You just have to be patient and work with us. Okay? Give us, give us some time. Mold us. Okay? We need the molding. Okay? Please, don't just give up on us. But no, we can say that. We can joke around about it. But these are excuses that people use all the time. They don't understand me. You know when somebody says they don't understand me, what they're really saying is, I have found somebody else already who seems to understand me. Because we've shared this common interest together for months, and we've grown connected. And we don't talk anymore as husband and wife, and so how could they understand you if you're not even talking to them? I mean, do you see how quickly we can fall down this hill? And here's the thing, too. Nobody trips and falls into adultery. Can we just be honest about that for a second? It's not like you're like, oh, man, my marriage is great. Whoop, adultery. Like, that doesn't, no. Read Scripture. Like, there are so many examples of great men. How about David and Bathsheba? Oh, he, it just came upon him. He had, it just happened. Read the text. There was a whole series of things that happened before he ever gave in to that temptation. Man, he saw her bathing on the roof. Which, by the way, women, if you don't, want to be tempted in there. Just don't bathe on your roof, I guess. I mean, that's the lesson I would give to the, like, go inside and do, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, especially in Michigan, this is not a day you want to bathe outside, okay? Let's not do that. We have, that's, anyway. Culturally, they would bathe. Anyway, so we're not going to get into all that. So there was a purpose why she did that, but anyway. But there was a whole series of thoughts and decisions. It wasn't like David was like, adultery. What did we say last week about addiction? Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what, today I'm going to become a heroin addict. That's just what I feel like I'm going to do. My life's pretty good. I'm going to become an alcoholic. You know, I'm going to give myself over to the substance and let it control me for the next 20, 30 years of my life. Nobody does that. It's a series of thoughts and decisions. And thoughts and decisions. If we are not careful, we can find ourselves falling into this sin and going Oh, man, I never thought I'd ever get here. Because if we're not careful, this bad advice will start to seep in. It's coming from within, and it's coming from without. We have to understand that if you neglect your marriage, you enjoy common interests with someone else and form an emotional bond with them, excluding your spouse, and you make excuses and rationalize your actions, you will, not you might, you will, to some degree, commit adultery. And this is the other thing too. Adultery in Jesus' eyes is not adultery as we would define it in the world today. And the world today is an intimate relationship with someone of the opposite sex that is not your wife or husband. That is not how Jesus defined adultery. He said that if you look after a woman, and this is not just men to women, it's implied that if a woman does the same thing with a man, it's still the same principle. That if you look after a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery with her already. 
You see, Jesus was so much more than just about the surface and about the action. He was about the heart and about the mind. And he said, man, if you're not guarding your mind and guarding your heart from these things, you will see lust develop. And then sooner or later, to some degree, at some level, and you can excuse it all you want because maybe you're still at the rationalizing stage, but it is adultery. And I'm so frustrated that in the church, in America today, we have watered down that definition. Well, it's not adultery. We just flirted. It's not adultery. We just talk sometimes. It's not adultery, this or that. No, it is adultery. And if we, as the Christians, as the church, don't take it seriously in our marriages, then how in the world is the world going to see a difference in our marriage? Then I know this is not like, oh, yay, hey, happy stuff. I get that. But man, we have got to be serious about this stuff because our world needs marriages that are built on Christ. Because how is the world going to know that Christ loves them? By looking at Christ's church. And what does Paul say is the greatest picture of the love Christ has for the church? Marriage. And again, this doesn't mean we're perfect. This doesn't mean that we never make mistakes. Again, we're guys. We're imperfect. Women, you're imperfect. I know your husband's going to lead over and go, not you. He means other wives. Again, I would just take that with a grain of salt, okay? Here's the truth of it. You know what separates Christ-like marriages from just regular mundane marriages? That we strive for Christ-likeness, but when we fall, as we will and can and do, we respond with Christ-likeness. So that doesn't mean when we fall, we go, oh, no big deal. We deal with it. But here's the beauty of it. When you fall in your marriage and your neighbors see it, and then they see how you respond in that struggle, trial, and difficulty, and they see how Christ still builds that marriage back up over time, and how you as a Christian and your spouse as a Christian are striving to still show that love and show that grace, and it's difficult, I understand, but it's possible, man, that's when your neighbors go, whoa, whoa, time out. How did you guys not get a divorce? Like, why did you guys not do this? Or why did you not do that? Or why did you not do that? And you just say, man, it's just God. And that's the impact our marriages can have. And let me say this on the backside of that. If you're here and adultery happened and you you, you did go through with a divorce, you were divorced from your spouse or you divorced them, this is not at all to beat you up and say that you weren't Christ-like. What we're saying is, I don't believe that has to be the outcome. I understand that it can be. I understand that at times it is the outcome. I understand that Paul lays out this idea that, that adultery is the only biblical grounds that you could say would be, quote-unquote, justified for divorce, and we can debate that and talk about that. But I still believe that God's desire, God's ideal goal, is that a husband and wife, even in the midst of adultery, will say, you know what, just because we can doesn't mean we will. And maybe we're going to see if we can't, by God's grace, work this thing out. And I want to be clear on this. I know we're just doing this in one message, and I just said a lot that you might be thinking, man, I don't know if I believe that, or I don't know about this, and what about this? This is where I would say, again, please talk to me after the service. 
Let's sit down at some point this week. I would love to walk this out with you and hear what you have to say, but also share with you some scriptural things that we just don't have time to get into this morning. And so the bad advice that we're falling into, if we're not careful, neglect your marriage, enjoy common interest, and make excuses. To avoid falling into this trap, I want to encourage you to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes, to radically reduce the risks. To radically reduce the risks. We must be intentional about avoiding the landmines that surround our marriages. This is true for men and women. I believe and I think of a passage from Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 8. This is what Proverbs says. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. In Proverbs it speaks of the strange woman. One that would lure a husband away. And can I just tell you something again? It's not just a woman that lures a man, by the way. And that drives me nuts, too, when we had that mindset. Oh, well, it was all her fault. No, no, no. Last time I checked, it takes two people to make that decision. And so Proverbs here is saying we need to do what we can do. Because, listen, I take this from Proverbs. If I'm a Christian follower of Christ, and I know these things to be true, and this man or woman over here, depending on who you are, man or woman, isn't there yet, and they're tempting you, which happens then it's up to you as the stronger Christian to say, no, God, I'm going to reject that. So it's not so much about a man or a woman or the woman always tempting the man. It's a principle of the one that knows, that has knowledge, needs to stand against temptation when the other person doesn't or isn't living in that knowledge. Does that make sense? We have to be guarded against that. So many times we convince ourselves that there is no risk. So as humans, as we do in many areas of our life regarding sin, we walk as close to the line as possible. Rather, Proverbs says, be as far away from the line as possible. Some practical tips from pastor and author Craig Groeschel. He wrote something on this topic, and I wanted to share just a couple tips that he gives uh, to reduce the risk. Just some great things. Um, Keep a growing relationship with Christ. Abide in Him. Never be alone with the wrong people. Uh, You know who they are. You don't have to have a list given to you. Uh, That's something the Holy Spirit will give to you. Uh, Never talk bad about your spouse. Never talk bad about your spouse. So often it's that voice of empathy that will come calling to you in temptation. As you're complaining to your coworker about your spouse and they just don't get it, they seem to always have the right answers. Next thing you know, you're giving in to that temptation to spend time with them. Surround yourself with strong marriages. Look, listen, and learn. Avoid all inappropriate places and situations. As my father-in-law would say, and it fits, Be cosmically aware. Cosmically aware. So I believe when we do these things consistently by his grace, we will find ourselves reducing the risk. I'm not saying it will never happen. I'm not saying that it's never possible. I'm saying we'll reduce the risk in these things. And when it says never talk bad about your spouse, I believe that is something that we can all start with today. I don't care where your marriage is. Purpose for the next 30 days, at least, you're only going to say something positive about your spouse, to your spouse, and about your spouse. See, we all talk nice to our spouse, but we need to learn to talk nice about our spouse. Now, let me say this. If you've reached out to someone for encouragement, accountability, supports, uh, in a Christ-like relationship, someone that's spiritually mature that you're going to for wisdom, guidance, and direction, and you're saying, I need some help in this area, and you're sharing some struggles and some concerns, I still want to encourage you, be careful. I don't think sharing a struggle with someone you trust in that accountability relationship is talking bad about them necessarily. Although you might say, well, I don't want to imply that there's a problem here. 
I think that's not the same thing. I think this is saying gossiping about your spouse, just complaining about they never pick up their underwear or they always leave the toilet seat up or whatever they do. They always put the cup in the sink before I'm done using it, whatever it might be. Um, We need to be guarded against those things. That's just something, honestly, I'll never let that go because it is just such a stupid, stupid thing. But isn't it true in marriage, something as silly as that? and, And we joke about it, but honestly, listen, those kind of things could really lead to something crazy serious later if it's not dealt with. It's so silly. It's like, it's like telling your wife to iron your shirts. Like, that could actually, it's something silly, but it could really cause a huge problem if not dealt with. So we need to be guarded against these things. So we radically reduce the risk. Okay, we radically reduce the risk. But we also invest passionately into our marriages. And this is one I love. Okay, this is something I really want to spend just a couple minutes on. And I know we're getting short on time. Uh, invest passionately in your marriage. This seems like the work parts. I put work in quotations in my notes. And don't, don't get me wrong, marriage is work, but it doesn't have to feel like work. Men and women understand what it is to invest in something, a hobby, a career, but often we don't think the same of marriage. We said in a series last year, I believe that one of the greatest temptations in giving into adultery is believing that someone else has it better, that the grass is greener on the other side. But as I said a year ago, when you start thinking the grass is greener on the other side, it's just time to water your grass. Okay? It's just time to invest in your marriage. Proverbs fifteen nineteen says, May you ever be intoxicated with her, your wife. May you ever be intoxicated with her love, the love of your wife, or in the case of a woman, the love of your husband. The word intoxicated here means to be ravished, captivated, enraptured, and consumed. So let me ask you a question real quick, those of you that are married. If I asked you to describe your relationship with your husband or wife and say, tell me how you feel about your marriage, how do you feel about that person, would you say you're consumed with them? Would you say you're enraptured by them, that you're captivated by their love. Now, again, this is all secondary to who? Christ. We're first and foremost enraptured by Christ's love for us, but secondly, we're enraptured by the love of our spouse. Proverbs goes on to say in verse 20 of chapter 5, why would you then be intoxicated with a strange woman? Some translations say, forbidden woman. Proverbs is saying, why, if you're intoxicated with your wife, you'll never be intoxicated or enraptured by a strange woman, a forbidden woman. Or one translation says, someone else's wife. It's simply foolishness. So how do we reduce the risk? We take the steps to invest passionately in our marriage. And finally, I believe one way that we avoid falling into the trap of adultery is we visualize the potential destruction When you feel temptation calling, stop and mentally play out the potential for what's coming. The hurt, the agony, the frustration, and the shame. Scripture teaches us that when we deviate from his plan, especially in the area of intimacy, it will lead to eminent destruction. I want you to think about this just for a moment. This is just some food for thought. There are approximately, I say approximately because depending on the translation and how it's translated, the number varies just slightly, but there are approximately 31,173 verses in the total Bible. Let me say that again. 31,173 verses in the total Bible. And nowhere 
not one, will you find that speaks positively about adultery or any other sexual sin. Not one of the 31,173 verses in the Bible ever say adultery is a good thing, ever speak of any deviation from God's plan and intimacy is a good thing. But there are countless verses that show you the dangers, show you the outcome, and the risk involved when we deviate from his plan. And so how do we move on from here? How do we apply these things? Here's the conclusion I wanted to wrap up with because I believe I need to end with God's good news. Even when we are unfaithful, God is faithful. One passage I want you to turn to. I was just going to read it, but I want you to go there with me. I know we're short on time, but 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Look at verses 1 and 2. I know we've said a lot today, and if you are on that side of the fence where you have made a mistake, which again, apparently 55% of women, I believe it was 55% of women and 65% of men are on that side of the fence in our world today, in our nation. If you're on that side of the fence, then there is some good news you have to understand to move forward. Chapter 2 and verse 1, my little children, I love that John calls us children, not in a derogatory sense, but in a loving and parental sense. It says, my little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. So period. Sin not. What is his desire? It's not we sin that grace may abound. God forbid. We do not, I am not going to read the rest of the passage until we understand that I am not at all saying that if you have committed adultery or have had committed adultery against, or have adultery committed against you, that it's no big deal. That you should just get over it. That it's on, it's on everyone else, apparently, because I just need to get over it. I'm not at all saying that. It hurts. There's agony and results and consequences that go with those choices that were made, and usually by someone else. And so sin not. It is a strongly worded warning. Don't sin. Because all that will come from sin is death and destruction and chaos. But he goes on. And I believe he has to go on because God would tell us more. Look as it goes on to say there in verse 1. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. Can we just stop in this message and just say, God, thank you for being the payment for my sins. God, thank you that when I was unfaithful, you were faithful. God, thank you that even though I am imperfect as a human being, you are perfect. And so if you are here, and I don't care if it's, quote unquote, in our world's eyes, a little thing or a big thing. A text message, a chat, a flirt, a look, an emotion, I don't, doesn't matter. If it's any way connected to what we would define as adultery, then you need to understand that yes, we deal with it. Yes, we put roadblocks. Yes, we put guards. We have conversations. But at the end of the day, we trust that he is forgiven us. That he has forgiven you, will forgive you, if you will call out to him and confess to him. And don't allow the enemy or your flesh to bind you any longer in that sin. 
man, so many Christians are still under bondage from a sin they committed 10, 20, 30 years ago. When we are set free from all that, fear no longer controls you because you are a child of God. Sin not. But man, I love that the verse doesn't end there. And if any man sin, we have an advocate, a defense, one that will speak for us. Again, for some, this is difficult to comprehend, really in any area of sin. But in this topic or area, we really struggle. But I want to assure you that God's grace is there to forgive you and to restore you. If you have fallen into this trap, you have committed this act in the past, you can confess it and receive his grace. He is extending to you. Don't let it weigh you down and keep you defeated any longer. If you have confessed and know he has forgiven you but can't seem to forgive yourself, call out to him. Ask him to reveal to you the fullness of his love and then get into his word and read all the ways that he wants to show you his love. And finally and lastly, what are you doing to cultivate your current or future marriage? What are you doing? And listen, so often in our world's eyes, it's like, well, you want to cultivate a great marriage? Just spend a lot of time together. That's good. But I believe sometimes the best thing we do is spend time together in the Word of God, spend time together in the house of God, worshiping God together. I had somebody tell me about, oh man, 10, 12 years ago, going through some stuff with their spouse and said, you know what? Their spouse didn't really want to go to church anymore. Just didn't want to do it. I just don't want to, do, I don't want to get up anymore. I want to do more fun things with you and me. Let's go do husband and wife things that always seem to fall on Sundays. It's convenient. Saturday mornings, always oh, sleep in, or we got other things going on with the family. But Sundays will be our day. That's what the spouse said to this person. And this person came to me and said, Man, I don't know. I don't feel at peace about that. I think I still need to get my kids in church and still and, and you know involve them in church and stuff. And we were we worked together, and so some of you guys, or most of you guys wouldn't know this person, but um, they don't attend our church or anything like that. But we had this conversation at work one day, and I said, you know, I said, let me just encourage you something. I said, I, I you're right. I understand what your struggle is, but man, if you feel like God is saying, get your kids in church, then you need to be there. Like, I mean, I understand what your, your spouse is saying, but you need to listen to the voice of God right now. Like, and if you feel convicted about that, you need to do it, which is just a good rule in thumb. If God is convicting you on something, do what God is leading you to do, okay? You'll find a lot more peace and happiness and joy in that. And that lasts for about two minutes, and then this person said, you know what, I just, you know, I think I'm going to go with what, I think I just need to take a break from church to work on our marriage, can I just tell you now, and if you've thought that or done that or been tempted to do that, it doesn't work. Because this couple took a break from church 12 years ago. And as far as I know, neither one of them are in church now. So why would I tell you that? Because here's the point of it. You could take a break from church and get momentary success in your marriage. But what's the key in a marriage? Is it happiness? Trivial happiness? Circumstantial happiness? And no. It's Christ-likeness. So how do we have Christ-likeness in our marriage? We surround ourselves with other Christian marriages. We grow in those relationships, and we establish this is our kind of core help system. And we do that in the house of God. And so I know there's so much more to this topic. And there's so much more involved in this. But I want to ask you again, what are you doing to invest in your marriage currently? And then here's the final one. Is it working? Is it working? Because if it isn't working, and you're still doing it, that's called insane. So do the things that work and allow God to work through it. 
Would you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? The band's going to come, and we are going to have a time of invitation just quickly. And again, I appreciate your faithfulness and your attentiveness. I know we're going a little long today, but I just, I want to bow in prayer. Would you bow with me? And I want to ask something that I'm just going to pray real quick. I'm not going to pray very long. But as the band comes, and they're going to lead us in a song of worship, I'm going to ask that you, right there where you are, if you are not married right now, you're not married, and maybe you're, you're planning or praying about getting married one day, then maybe in just a moment you would come and bend a knee and say, God, I just pray that you would help me and shape me into the man or woman I need to be for my future husband or future wife. I want to be molded into who you want me to be. Help me to be guarded in these areas, that I would be guarded against temptation. But here's the reality. We're all equally tempted. We all suffer temptation. We all will be and are tempted in this area as far as in this world. Whether you're married or not, there's temptation all around us. And so what do we do with the common temptation? We fight it with a common solution, which is Christ. And we abide in him. And we seek his strength. And we surround ourselves with those that can help us in accountability. And we make the steps we need to make. And we take the steps we need to take, I should say. So if you're not married, maybe you would come and pray and say, God, just shape me and mold me and help me to be what I need to be for my future spouse, my future husband or wife. And, but here's what I want to do too. And I know that we don't usually do like a mass call. But I would really encourage that anyone here that is married, you don't have to come forward. That's not what I'm saying. And if you don't feel comfortable doing that, please don't think that anyone's going to look down on you. But if you would like to, I would, just, I would just encourage you as a husband and as a wife, maybe you're here and your spouse isn't with you. Maybe you would just come and just bend the knee and just say, God, our marriage is good. I mean, things are great, but I pray that you would just strengthen it. Give us wisdom. Maybe you just join together in prayer and say, God, affirm these things that we've already been trying to do and doing by your grace. Maybe you'd come as a, as a husband and wife and say, God, we, we have some struggles or we have some things or we're dealing with some stuff. And I just pray that you'd give us wisdom and that help us to turn this over to you, that you would use it for your glory. That our marriage would reflect Christ-likeness. Whatever God is doing, would you just call out to him in, in your marriage and just allow him to use it to show his love and grace. Father, we thank you so much for your grace in our lives. Lord, I know that everyone in this room is dependent upon your grace, even if they don't know it. And I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love and your faithfulness. Even when we struggle, when we fall, when we make mistakes, when we sin, when we're unfaithful to you, ultimately, Lord, you are faithful to us. It doesn't mean the sin has no consequence. What it means, Lord, is that you are faithful in the midst of it if we would just but cry out to you. Father, I pray that you would use the marriages represented in this church to change this community and to change this world, to show your light and your grace. Father, be with this time of invitation, we ask, that we would respond to you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as they lead us in a song of worship, song of invitation. Would you come and pray? Husband and wife, future husband and wife, would you come and pray?